Oh man, multiple sadness. Hello, movie fans, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Multiple Sadness, the podcast where I, Rob Flack O'Hara, take you on a stroll through some of the worst movies ever to hit the silver screen. Uh, Since this is the first episode, I will take a moment here and explain the name of the podcast. The name of the podcast is Multiple Sadness. And you may have heard that soundbite in the opening music there. Uh, That quote comes from a movie called Witchboard. It is a uh, considered to be, uh, I don't know if it's considered to be a bad movie, but it's not a great movie. (laughs) But um, it's a movie that uh, growing up, my buddy Jeff and I rented based on the artwork on the outside of the VHS rental tape. And that quote uh, comes from the movie after a a guy's uh, tires explode after he makes an offensive comment to a spirit (laughs) that blows up his tires. And then the uh, surfer guy in the movie looks out the window and says, multiple sadness. And uh, that's that's really one of the first quotes I can remember that came from a movie that that Jeff and I adopted into our uh, vernacular where we would go around saying that and we still occasionally (laughs) say multiple sadness. And so uh, it's a a phrase that I think came from that movie. And uh, whenever I hear that, whenever Jeff or I say that to one another, that's what I think of. And so it just reminds me of these old uh, you know, 70s and 80s, uh, even a few 90s, uh, really bad movies um, that, um, you know, we, we still got a kick out of, even if they were considered to be uh, by the mainstream, uh, quote unquote, bad movies. So that's mostly what this podcast is going to be about is uh, me talking about movies that are, in my opinion, so bad that they're good. I used to watch a lot of these movies with uh, friends of mine, but unfortunately, they all grew up. <laughs> some of them uh, moved away and some of them uh, don't watch these kind of movies anymore and, and some of them uh, just don't get together with uh, that often anymore. So it just left me. So here I am talking about these same movies uh, that I grew up watching. On today's episode of Multiple Sadness, we're going to take a look at a movie that serves up equal parts black comedy, bad acting, nudity, and cannibalism for dinner. That would be Microwave Massacre. Anthem Pictures reluctantly presents what is considered to be the worst horror film of all time. Your skin will crawl. Your stomach will turn. I have to go to the restroom. I mean restroom. Your blood will boil. Dining will never be the it's same. It's all caught in blue. I've never tasted anything so unique. It's delicious. Dismember me. Death. Oh, man. Distastefulness. My hemorrhoids. Microwave massacre. This is it, May. You're a walking contraceptive. Say, you know, you look so much better in the dark. I've told you a million, billion, trillion times. 
You are what they eat. I know I'm gonna be sick! Too many bombs! Originally released in 1983, Microwave Massacre was directed by Wayne Berwick and written by Thomas Singer and Craig Muckler. It is rated R and is approximately 76 minutes long. According to IMDb, people who like this movie also liked Memorial Valley Massacre, The Refrigerator, Dumpster Baby, (laughs) The Last Slumber Party, Cannibal Campout, and flesh-eating mothers. I can tell you right now, I'm going to go find a copy of Dumpster Baby <laughs> and watch that. Uh, how did I first hear about Microwave Massacre? I rented it uh, when I was a kid. This was back when, I guess, independent movie rental places. Maybe uh, Jeff's mom rented it, but I know that uh, the first time I saw this was with Jeff. Uh, and he and I had rented this based on uh, the cover, the VHS cover, which I'm almost positive is not the same cover that I have found online. Maybe our local movie rental store had their own uh, custom artwork that they had slipped inside a clamshell. I just remember the uh, picture, not to give away spoilers, uh, but of uh, May's severed head. <laughs> Sitting inside the microwave is what I remember being on the cover, and I did not find artwork that matched up with that. But uh, that's how I remember we found the movie. We we saw this horrible thing, and the name a Microwave Massacre just sounds funny, and so that's what led us to uh, originally watch this movie for the first time. I would estimate that I have seen this movie uh, way too many times. Um, I I, I tend to exaggerate when I estimate how many times I've seen a movie, but I'm sure I've seen this movie uh, at least 30 times, maybe more. (laughs) Yes, Napoleon, I know you're hungry. Well, you can get ready for a feast. I don't know how we survived all that horrible food until I decided to do something about my cuisine. We're much better off now, though. And if this marvel does its job, it will get even better. That classless jerk won't hold us back anymore. Uh, Microwave Massacre stars Jackie Vernon as Donald. Uh, Jackie Vernon has 15 movie credits listed on IMDb, and Microwave Massacre was uh, the last film that he was in before he passed away. Now, uh, when I was a kid and saw this movie, I thought uh, his voice sounded very familiar. So in Microwave uh, Massacre, you will hear uh, Donald say lines such as this. (sighs) When are we going to eat? Soon, I hope. But the meat first has to be prepared. So? Shouldn't you be doing it? I thought I was. And if you close your eyes and listen to that voice, you may recognize him as this character. Happy birthday! <gasps> hey, I said my first words. But, but snowmen can't talk. Yes, that's right. Jackie Vernon was the voice of Frosty the Snowman in the animated cartoons that we grew up watching. Um, A lot of people think that Microwave Massacre is a big detour uh, for Jackie Vernon or uh, 
you know, because he was known for these kids' cartoons. But in reality, uh, Jackie Vernon was actually a, a pretty blue stand-up comedian uh, in the 50s and 60s. He did a lot of stand-up performances in Vegas. Uh, he did a lot of talk show performances. Um, and so he was kind of a dirty comedian. So really, um, the uh, exception to the rule is the Frosty the Snowman cartoons, not uh, microwave massacre, but uh, I suspect that microwave massacre was uh, done out of the need for some cash. Uh, the role was originally pitched to Rodney Dangerfield, according to online sources, uh, and he wanted too much money, which is not unbelievable based on the movie and um, what the budget must have been, which I'm going to guess is about seven dollars and thirty-two cents. Donald has two construction co-workers in the movie, Roosevelt and Philip. Roosevelt is played by Lauren Shine, who, according to IMDb, has one acting credit, which is Microwave Massacre, although he also operated the sound boom in Hitchhike to Hell, which I might watch that, too. It doesn't sound as good as Dumpster Baby, but it sounds good. Uh, Philip is played by Al Trope who has four credits on IMDb, the last of which was 1992's Feast, which he uh, was also involved in the production of. Do you guys really like it? Really? Yeah, man. Hey, Donald, this is a tummy turn-on, man. Hey, you got to tell us what it is. Oh, no. Uh, that Absolutely not. You really like it, huh? Oh, yeah, you know, I got a lot more. I can bring some in tomorrow. Yeah? Hey, we can look forward to having this every day. Yes, but to tell the truth, this meat is a little tough and old. Oh, I'll take care of that, don't worry. I still haven't perfected a way to prepare it. But it'll be better next time. Donald's wife, May, is played by Claire Ginsburg. Claire Ginsburg has one acting credit on IMDb, which is Microwave Massacre. <laughs> also, starring on the movie, I should mention, is May's head. Um, after May uh, is uh, killed and dismembered, um, May's head appears multiple times throughout the movie. It is probably made from paper mache, although it looks almost like um, a carved coconut <laughs> with a wig on it. Uh, and it occasionally moves around and, and turns. Uh, we don't ever see it move, but we see it has come and gone. And, and, um, so we, we get the impression that it has moved. So, uh, not listed in the credits, but, um, I do believe that she deserves billing in this movie. And then finally we have the X174A microwave. It is major electric brand. Uh, and this is the microwave from Microwave Massacre. It is uh, by far the biggest microwave I've ever seen in my life. It is uh, probably four foot wide by two and a half to three foot tall. Uh, we see the microwave being uh, delivered. Actually, we see the box uh, for the microwave outside in the trash. And there's no way that the microwave in the movie would fit in that box. Uh, the model number, like I mentioned, is X174A, which is printed on the front of the microwave. I did Google that and did not find any hits in reference to microwaves. Um, and I'm going to mention that model number, the X174A. This movie was released in 1983, but there's no way this is an 80s movie. Uh, it definitely has a 70s feel and actually has a 70s adult movie feel. Um, there's lots of um, Bow Chicka Wow type of uh, music. 
that appears in this, and I suspect that the 74 in X174A refers to the year 1974. I can't prove that. haven't been able to find anything on that, but I got a feeling that that there's some relation there. Uh, I was able to pause the movie and zoom in. There are some uh, weird buttons on the front of the microwave. It says uh, Major Electric on the front, and then there are six large buttons that are labeled. uh, there There are words next to the buttons labeled Thaw, Bake, Brown, sizzle, slow broil, and barbecue. And each of these uh, have numbers on top of the buttons. And then there's a touch panel uh, that looks like uh, it came from a telephone. There are <laughs> uh, the numbers one through nine, then there's a zero. I think there's a pound sign on there. Uh, so it, it looks like it came, it was uh, maybe when they built the prop, it was lifted right off of a uh, foam. And so each of those, uh, the weird buttons that light up have numbers on them. Uh, for example, slow broil is number 136. So if you want to slow broil somebody, you punch in 136 uh, on the number pad. <laughs> uh, one of the most odd things about the microwave in this movie is that um, uh, it was released in 1983. And in 1983, we had normal microwaves. I mean, normal sized microwaves. If you Google microwave from 1983, you will see microwaves that don't look unlike the microwaves we have today. So that's another thing that leads me to believe that, uh, this microwave movie was filmed uh, much earlier in the seventies. And in fact, I believe the microwave in this movie may have been built by someone who had never seen a microwave. (laughs) It doesn't look anything like a microwave. In fact, um, it has tinted glass on the front, and what it looks like is a giant flat-screen television. Uh, But, uh, of course, it opens up, and we occasionally see things that are hidden inside uh, the microwave. The other member of the cast I will mention is Napoleon, uh, who is May's dog. And I only mention Napoleon because he disappears about halfway through the film. Uh, There's a lot of... Uh, comments about Napoleon uh, during the first half of the film, and and he just disappears in the second half. So uh, Napoleon has uh, no IMDb credits. Napoleon, she had a call. I'm going to kick him in his bone pot. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about the plot of this movie, and I'm going to do it as a serial killer chases me through the forest. Donald, an overweight construction worker, wants nothing more but to eat simple foods like bologna sandwiches. Donald's wife, May, is a food connoisseur, insisting on preparing things like crab sandwiches and veal cordon bleu for Donald to take to lunch. Things come to a head when May purchases a fancy new microwave. After a long night of drinking at the bar, Donald murders May and sticks her in the microwave. He cuts up her body to hide the evidence and puts the evidence in the freezer in the garage. But the next day, he accidentally eats her hand and discovers that May's actually pretty delicious. Donald shares the meat with his co-workers who agree that the meat is tasty but tastes slightly old and tough. This sets Donald out on a quest to find new, younger, tastier meat, which mostly comes in the form of topless, jiggly women. Whew, we made it. So here's some impressions and details about the film. First of all, the title breakdown I like to do. Um, the title of this movie is Microwave Massacre. Uh, technically, the microwave only kills one person, and that's actually indirectly. Uh, so the microwave actually doesn't do any massacring at all. And I don't even know if I would call this a massacre. It's really uh, a serial. I would call this the cannibal 
uh, serial killer microwave movie. <laughs> uh, but Microwave Massacre is kind of a misleading title. Uh, looking at the the cover, there are two covers I was able to find, and neither of these are the ones that I remember uh, from my childhood. The first is a videotape VHS release, uh, the release from Midnight Video. On the front, it says a creepy comedy about cadavers and cannibalism, uh, and then it has a airbrushed picture or some type, uh, type of artwork of a person looking into a microwave that's cooking a head. Um, the microwave is not the one from the movie and neither is the head or the person looking into it. So, uh, I suspect this was uh, farmed out to an artist and they were given a description of what to paint or draw. And that's what happened. Somebody who had not seen the movie. There is also a DVD release. This movie was released by Anthem pictures. Uh, the DVD cover is silver and there is a large quote on the front that says the worst horror movie of all time. Now I, uh, would have to disagree with that. I've, probably seen a hundred horror movies that are worse than this one. Uh, this is a bad movie, um, but it's definitely not the worst. There's also a large thing that says unrated slash uncut. Now I have this movie. I have an original VHS copy and I have a DVD copy and I couldn't find anything that appeared in one and not the other. So I think that may just be a, uh, a marketing ploy to get people to buy the DVD. The plot of the movie explained a little bit about um, there are some really, really bad plot holes in this movie. Um, the first leap that we are expected to believe uh, is that Donald would kill his wife uh, because she refuses to make normal meals for him to take to work. And Donald's always upset because she is cooking uh I think uh, the the one that sets him over the edge is Peruvian food. Uh, she makes cordon bleu, uh, so that this makes him very upset. So sit down. You waiting for it to cool off? You know, uh, this really looks great, man. It really does. It even matches the chairs. You know, uh, when it comes to cooking, you'd make a great decorator. It's all cordon bleu. Come on, you sap. It's veal. One of your favorites. Somehow uh, it loses something in the translation. Uh, in fact, the first opening scene of the movie, Donald goes to work at the construction site and he pulls out his sandwich, which is two pieces of bread, and there's a crab uh, on the sandwich. Now, it's not a like crab meat. It is a prop giant plastic crab <laughs> like you would see, uh, you know, uh, from a novelty story. It, it's just a, obviously a big giant plastic crab. Uh, it's so silly and ridiculous looking, uh, you know, that anybody would, nobody would try to pass this off for food. It, it's just silly. Um, but there are a lot of things about this uh, plot point that don't make sense. And the first is uh, we see inside Donald's car a few times and it's filled with uh, fast food wrappers and um, uh, sandwich items and bags of chips. So obviously, Donald's eating <laughs> what he wants to eat. Uh, also, Donald in this movie is probably 300 pounds. Um, so the guy's not starving. Let's just say that. Uh, also, after work, he often goes to a bar that serves food. So he can obviously eat there as well. So uh, why this upsets him so much that his wife insists on um, uh, cooking nice meals for him is not, not really uh, established in the plot. Hey. Oh, May, why don't you go and sit on a thumbtack, huh? 
Why don't you go home and tell her that? What? Who? Where? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I will. The next part of the plot hinges on the fact that if you accidentally ate human flesh uh, and thought it tasted good, that you would begin to kill people uh, to continue eating human flesh. Now, there are a lot of things that I have eaten in my life, uh, maybe on vacation or on trips, things uh, that I can't get on a normal basis that taste pretty good, um, but I'm not willing to commit felonies <laughs> to continue to eat those things. So that's uh, a little bit of a leap of faith. And then uh, finally, we are also asked to believe that um, you would convert to cannibalism uh, after taking a bite uh, of a dead human body. So this is um, how this happens in the movie is um, uh, May has the freezer in the garage stuffed with uh, meat that she's going to be preparing. And so after uh, Donald kills his wife, May, uh, in a fit of rage over uh, the Peruvian dinner <laughs> and after a, a long night of drinking, uh, he dismembers her and wraps her up in the same aluminum foil that all the other meat is wrapped in in the freezer. And, of course, one piece, which turns out to be May's hand, falls uh, from the pile of May <laughs> into the pile of meat. Oh, look at all that stuff. Incredible. She had enough stuff here to, to feed all the foreign legions. Well, out with it all. I've got to make room for May. I don't want her any more spoiled. She already was. Yeah. Gotta make room for May. <laughs> gotta make room for May. Yeah. Plenty of room for you now, May. <laughs> And so one night, Donald goes out to the garage. He opens up the freezer. He picks up the hand. He doesn't notice. He only un unwraps a little bit of it, so he doesn't notice it's a hand uh, and starts eating it and thinks it's delicious. And then the aluminum foil falls off, and he realizes that he is eating. It's not cooked. It's just a hand, <laughs> like a prop hand. Uh, and so he looks at it. He takes a bite. He realizes the horror that he is eating his dead wife's hand, and then he says, oh, well, and then he just keeps eating it. <laughs> He's like, well, it was pretty good. So, uh, And this is what starts uh, Donald down his path of uh, cannibalism. There are some really strange things going on in Donald's uh, neighborhood. There are some kinky neighbors that have sex all the time. So every time Donald comes and goes to his house, he notices there are odd things going on. But we don't really know why in this movie. They don't uh, really interact with him. Uh, it's just for, I guess, comic relief. Uh, there's the, the neighbor. There's a very attractive woman who we see uh, topless through the window. Uh, there's a lot of topless people in this movie. We'll be talking about that. But um, uh, at one point, she's using a, um, how to say this politely, an adult toy uh, to work in her garden. Uh, there's, uh, another time where she is, uh, holding her cat and Donald comes home. And of course he, uh, uses different words to describe the cat. 
Uh, and so, but th- there's no point of this in the plot. It's just something. And what's funny is this movie is roughly 75 minutes long. Uh, and so these things drag it out. It makes it seem longer than it is because there's a lot of, of slow moving parts in this movie. So even though it's only 75 minutes, you'll swear it was about two hours. Um, Back to that plot point about him not getting uh, the types of food he wants for lunch. There's a food truck where he works, and occasionally uh, he joins his coworkers at the food truck and buys food from there. Uh, so, again, it doesn't really make sense that uh, <laughs> he's so upset about these crab sandwiches and everything. Uh, so when he does uh, decide that uh, May is delicious, he brings – uh, a piece of May, which he has cooked, I presumably in the microwave, uh, to work, which is wrapped in aluminum foil. And this piece of meat is probably four foot long. <laughs> I don't even know what it's supposed to be. Like what piece of meat on the human body is four foot long? Uh, but he does uh, bring that, and then uh, the two his two coworkers are like, "What is that? Is it any good?" And so he just starts passing it around. And so the one guy takes a bite. And he's like, "Oh, it's delicious!" And then the other guy takes takes a bite and he likes it too. Uh, it's, it's really funny. I mean, I don't know uh, how you are about germs. I'm not, I don't consider myself to be a, a germaphobe. Uh, I would probably eat things that most other people uh, wouldn't eat. I have more of a five minute rule if things fall on the ground. Uh, but I don't know of two construction coworkers that I would just pass around a giant chunk of meat uh, that we would all eat off of uh, the same thing. Uh, and it's also a little weird that uh, not only has he become a cannibal overnight, uh, but that he would take this four foot chunk of meat, which you would think might be difficult to explain, uh, to work and then share it with coworkers. But this is all uh, things that happen in Donald's world. Some other odd things that happen. Uh, May's sister shows up out of concern. She hasn't heard from her sister in a while. And so uh, Donald tries to trick her by making a dummy in the bed and putting May's severed head on top of the tummy. At this point, May's severed head is probably weeks old uh, and has not been preserved other than uh, being put in the freezer. It's not wrapped in saran wrap or anything. So I, I'm not a doctor. I don't really know how some of these things work, and I don't know what a severed head looks like after it's been in a freezer for two weeks, but I'm guessing it doesn't look like a carved coconut with a wig on it, which is what she looks like. Let's talk a little bit about the costumes and props in this movie. Well, first of all, I think everybody in this movie wears their own clothes. We have the three construction workers, Donald and his two pals, uh, Philip. Always wears a like a gray vest over a T-shirt uh, that that he's always wearing, uh, and his other buddy uh, always wears a uh, button-down shirt. So it's not really uh, big costumes or anything like that. They all have hard hats, and two of them are yellow, and one is blue. Uh, so again, this makes me think maybe they just picked up. Uh, uh, some hard hats from the local thrift store or something. Uh, other props. We have the giant crab sandwich I mentioned, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, there is a giant piece of bread and butter that one of the women is put on uh, to be killed. So <laughs> she's actually naked and then gets covered with mayonnaise before she is uh, sawed in half. And this is uh, all goes back to Donald's addiction now, which he has combined uh, basically sex and murder 
and cannibalism. So uh, after he discovers how good uh, May tastes, uh, then he uh, begins picking up women from around town, which is actually pretty amazing. If you see this guy, um, Jackie Vernon at this point in his career is not a good-looking fellow. Uh, he's a, a overweight um not good looking comedian and so but he has no trouble in this movie picking up uh women that all look like giant jiggly prostitutes <laughs> and taking them back to his house where he uh eventually has sex with them and then murders them and then eats them prepares the meat so what happened a midget sawed off the hill what do you think it broke i could see how that could happen you're not used to being on your feet too much. Nobody's offered to take me off them tonight, yet. Say, you know, you look so much better in the dark. So do you. Maybe you know an even darker place where we could go and uh, admire each other? You, me? Oh, I mean, oh, oh I... I I never. I mean, at least not in a long time. Oh wow! You and me. I, I wouldn't know what to do with a beautiful young girl like you. Oh, I, I don't give lessons. Uh, other props we have uh, May's fake head, which I mentioned. Like I said, it's a uh, very goofy looking prop. It doesn't look anything like a, a real head. There are, however, lots of fake limbs. Uh, that appear in this movie. There are arms and and feet and and uh, hands and things like that that uh, uh, we we get to see through uh, different scenes. Uh, we have Donald's station wagon. We really only have two cars uh, that play in the movie. Really, only one, which is Donald's uh, yellow station wagon. I'm not really sure what model of car this is, but he uh, we see him driving it to and from work, and and we see him inside the car occasionally. Uh, picking up women while he's in the car as well. Uh, there's also a Volkswagen uh, van, which is uh, the food truck. And so uh, there's a couple of shots in the background where you can see it, and it's a uh, uh, just a big van, and the door is open, and there seems to be an ice chest inside there. So the guys just walk up and get whatever they want out of the ice chest. We don't really see anybody working the van, but, but that's it. Uh, and finally, there is a prop book. Uh, that I, I don't believe is a real book. I, I did some searching last night, but the book uh, is titled Survival, A True Story of Cannibalism. And we see Donald reading that uh, as, a, you know, kind of a, a prop uh, sight gag. Let's talk a little bit about the set and the locations, the filming locations. Uh, Microwave Massacre was filmed in and around Los Angeles, according to IMDb. That is the only information I could find uh, online. However, uh, while watching the movie, I noticed that Donald picks up one of his victims, uh, and there's a sign that says Penfield Avenue, which I did some searching, and that appears to be in Woodland Hills, California, which is not far uh, from Los Angeles. Also in one scene, he is walking down the street uh, talking to uh, a woman that he's trying to uh, propose to. Uh, to uh, get her to come back to his house. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but she's in a giant chicken costume. Hi. Do you have any eggs for my basket or coins? Hey, uh, is this for real? Kid, you, you're really fouled up here. I'm an artist. 
at the moment, this is my stage. You know, I... I hate to tell you, but this is chicken shit. You shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. You're too good-looking a chick to go around looking like a chick. I have to eat. And this place for a few worms. That's terrible. Hey, what time do you get off? Let me take you away from all this. I'd love to have you over for dinner. Uh, but in the background, we could see the Tashman Home Center, which is a home repair uh, type place. And I looked that up uh, on Google, and the address for that is 7769 Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood, California. Uh, and I can tell it's the same place because in the part of the sign, we can see the number 7028, which I thought was the address. But when I looked this uh, Tashman Home Center up online. The phone number is uh, area code 323-656-7028. I'm not giving out their secret number. It's online, but I wouldn't call them and ask them about Microwave Massacre. And maybe you will. If, if you call them and ask about Microwave Massacre, uh, ask them. Uh, <laughs> maybe they had to sign a release or something. I, I can't imagine. Uh, then we have, uh, Donald and May's house. There's, uh, quite a bit of the action in the movie takes place here. Uh, first of all, there's the kitchen. Well, I, I should say that, um, inside the house, every window is covered in every scene, which I, I don't know if this is to keep light out, if it's to keep, you know, maybe they filmed at night or during the day, uh, or maybe it's just a set inside, which is, uh, I think pretty likely because I noticed in a few scenes where you can see the floor that the floor just appears to be gray concrete. Uh, I thought it was gray carpet. It's hard to tell because this is a old VHS uh, movie, but there's uh, a couple of scenes where there's some reflections off the off the uh, floor. So I think it's just gray concrete. So it's probably maybe inside a sound studio or something. Um, we have the kitchen. The kitchen's very odd. It contains two giant full size ovens. <laughs> Actually, I mean each oven has uh, dual. There's four oven doors. Um, so apparently maybe this is, uh, so that we will understand that May is quite the, uh, baker and each of the, uh, I was able to pause the movie and each of the oven doors is labeled. One says filet, one says souffle, one says pate and one says flambe. <laughs> so apparently she's into, uh, preparing French meals. Um, so, and now to go with this, she has a four foot by three foot. Uh, microwave on the other side of the kitchen. Uh, we also get to see Donald May's dining room. Uh, there's an establishing shot as they go into the dining room for the first time. The dining room appears to be about 20 foot across. <laughs> it is a giant room uh, with a little tiny table for two people in the middle of it. There is a chandelier hanging from above, which is all crooked. And then what looks like the back wall of a set. And there are also two plants uh, in the kitchen that are just in pots that look like they were probably brought in uh, just for these shots. Uh, we have Donald May's living room. Uh, and this is where most of the uh, all of the sex <laughs> in the movie takes place. Donald brings these women back to his uh, living room couch and has sex with them and then uh, kills them. Um. So, and there, there's some statues, there's some decorations that obviously has been done by, uh, May, who is the, uh, culture, uh, cognizant, one of the two and not Donald, who is the construction worker. Uh, we get to see also their garage, 
uh, and which is the big stand-up freezer where all the meat is kept, and also Donald's workbench, in which uh, a few uh, women or prostitutes, we don't really understand if these are prostitutes or not. It, it seems like they would be, um, but where they are uh, dismembered. Uh, we also get to go to uh, the bar that the construction guys hang out in. It's a bar slash I don't know if it's a strip club. We see some women dancing on stage, but they have their clothes on. Uh, but we do see a sign in the background, an establishing shot, and the name of the club is Mr. Casper's. Uh, and on the sign, it advertises girls and bikinis, pool, and food. Uh, and it's also next door to an adult bookstore, which has a big sign that says uh, $0.25 cent Arcade. And uh, if you know my other podcasts, I really love arcades. I suspect this is not that kind of arcade. Uh, we, uh, have a construction site that the guys go to every day for work. Although we, we don't really see them building anything. It's just a big dirt field mostly. Uh, and then there are a couple of offices we visit. There's a psychiatrist office and a doctor's office. The, I think those are probably the same place, uh, with just some different paint. The psychiatrist office has, uh, some plants in it that I think are the same plants from the kitchen. There's also that those kind of rocking chairs that uh, we had in the 80s with the wicker on them. That's what the psychiatrist sits in and rocks. It's kind of uh, looks pretty cheesy. And then we have the doctor's office where um, there's a, uh, a handsaw hanging on the wall uh, and a diploma. Both of the, the psychiatrists and doctors have diplomas. So that must be filmmaking 101. If you're making a uh, the shrink's office or the doctor's office, you have to put a, a diploma on the wall, uh, which establishes <laughs> that they are, uh, in fact, uh, official uh, licensed doctors. The direction and editing in this film. Uh, first of all, there are lots of scenes that are way too long. There's a couple of points in this movie where there are two minutes with no dialogue. Um, some of the scenes with Donald where he is dismembering uh, these uh, women's bodies to prepare them to eat are a minute long with no dialogue. Uh, the scene where he chops up uh, May is probably a minute long. And a lot of these scenes are just way too long and don't have enough dialogue. Uh, also the editing, I don't, I don't really know that much about movie editing. Um, but there are lots of scenes where there's music playing and then all of a sudden the, the film just pops and you're in the next location and the music stops. It's very abrupt. Um, so <laughs> the editing is not particularly good, uh, on this movie either. I put a, a note here to talk about the soundtrack because there is some uh, fun, you know, 70s style, I would call it adult movie uh, soundtrack, but there are no music credits at the end of the movie. So I don't know the names of any of the songs or who performed them. Uh, so there, there is music, but, uh, you know, who did it uh, is anybody's guess. Maybe it was uh, May, May's head <laughs> performed the music. The writing and acting. Uh, is awful in this movie. Um, everybody in this movie sounds like they, uh, have just, you know, either had a cue card or saw the line one time and performed it. I think everything in this movie, uh, is, is recorded on the first take. I, I can't imagine that these were the better takes <laughs> compared to like, I can't imagine there are worse takes of, uh, some of these scenes. In fact, there's a, a scene that takes place outside where, uh, an ambulance uh, or a fire truck with a siren drives by, and that's all you can hear is the siren. You can't even hear the dialogue. Uh, and, you know, so you would think if you were going to reshoot a scene, that might be one to reshoot, uh, but they don't do that. So um, 
There are lots of jokes in this movie, tons and tons of jokes, uh, and a lot of them don't make sense, and a lot of them are just dumb. So here are some of the ones that don't make sense. First of all, uh, there's a guy eating a sandwich, uh, and he says uh, Donald you know, wants to trade. He's like, hey, you could trade. It would be like um, first aid. I don't, I don't get that joke. Uh, in the bar, there's uh, two drunks that are talking to one another, and a guy falls down. One of the guys is so drunk, he falls off the bar stool on the ground. And then the other guy looks down and says, hey, that's Charlie Farrell. I didn't recognize him upright. Okay, that's a joke um, that you would say about, and this is tacky, but uh, this is like a prostitute joke where, you know, if she's laying down, you go, oh, I recognize you now because <laughs> that's where she would normally be is laying down. But you, didn't, you don't recognize them when they're upright. So why does he only recognize this guy when he's laying down? That's just weird. Uh, there's a scene where Donald is driving home and a slow old elderly woman is crossing the road in front of him. Obviously we can see her hand and we see it's not an elderly person, but she's completely wrapped up almost like a nun. Uh, and he makes a couple of jokes. Uh, he says, you remind me of my uh, mother-in-law at her funeral. You know, and it's just a, a point that has nothing to do with the plot and it's put in, it's solely put in for him to deliver a couple of one-liners, but they're not funny one-liners. So it's just a, a it's a reminder of how bad this movie is. Um, we see uh, the girl who's dressed as a chicken, and let me tell you, there's a lot of uh, chicken comments and jokes, uh, you know, related to that. That none of them are funny. There's a scene that I don't – maybe something is cut out of this movie, but there's one scene where uh, Donald is coming home, and then we see a van pull up, uh, and the van opens the door, and it's a long shot of the door, so we get a, a, you know, a good opportunity to read what's written on the door, and it says, Moana meets, uh, and then it says, let us cater your next pagan ritual. And a guy gets out of the van who looks like a um, an African uh, tribesman. You know, he's all wearing a headdress and all these things. And he's carrying um, uh, a pot that has some meat in it, we guess. And he comes around and he walks. And that's it. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went. He's not in the movie. I mean, it's literally he's in the movie for this one 10-second shot. I don't get it. I don't even understand why this is in the movie. It's almost like somebody just shot a scene and it got into the movie by accident. I don't, I really don't understand that one. Then there are a bunch of jokes that make sense, but they're just dumb. There's a newscast uh, that Donald watches where they are explaining uh, uh, about cannibalism. And the joke is that uh, they're trying to bleep this newscast because it's filled with four letter words, but they kept uh, missing uh, the, the bleep. So they, you know, the guy says, blah, blah, blah. And he says a bad word. And then you hear the beep after that, or you hear the beep before, and then you hear the cuss word. So, I mean, that's a whole joke and that's two minutes of the movie. Um, there's a, uh, a, a little side skit where these three construction workers and all these guys have to be in their forties drive through uh, a Jack in the box. I think it's a generic Jack in the box. It, it, um, you can see the word Jack on the sign. Uh, it doesn't look anything like a Jack in the box that I've ever seen. And uh, they they give this lady a hard time and drive through. They tell her to do a bunch of dumb stuff and drive off. I, I don't – it's not the type of thing I would think a 40-year-old construction worker or his buddies would do, but whatever. 
Um, there's a scene where a guy uh, walking in front of Donald's house starts digging through his trash. It's obviously a homeless guy. And as he's digging through, he finds May's uh, other arm. It's like her entire forearm from the elbow down to the hand. And he pulls it out. And instead of being uh, horrified or disgusted by this, he finds that it makes a good back scratcher and also a uh, crotch scratcher. So he uses that and wanders off again. It's just kind of dumb. Uh, again, I mentioned the, uh, the chicken costume. Uh, we have a, the doctor that, um, uh, Donald goes and visits. The doctor's name is Dr. Von der Fall, uh, which they play into a joke. Um, I mean, is that funny? Here are the results, Dr. Fool. It's full, wonderful. You do that once more, I'm sending you to intensive care as a patient. I don't know. Uh, the the only joke, and it's kind of a silly one, but it kind of made me laugh, is there's a shot where Donald is experimenting with new ways to prepare the meat, and he makes a shish kebab, and so there's a long shot of a, a meat skewer and a uh, you know a bell pepper gets put on the skewer, and then an onion gets put on the skewer, and then a giant hand <laughs> gets put on the skewer. That one kind of made me chuckle a little bit, um, but. Um, I don't know. Uh, then there are a lot of jokes in the credits. Uh, it's kind of prevent, uh, presented like a French uh, restaurant menu where we have the chef, we have the appetizer, we have the main course, and the people are all listed on that. Um, at the very end, there are a couple of jokes. Uh, it says uh, the producers wish to express their thanks to microwave ovens, without which this movie would have taken much longer. Uh, and then the very last line of the credit says, remember, dismember a friend for lunch. So that's the quality of jokes you're going to get uh, from Microwave Massacre. Uh, talking a little bit more about the writing uh, and more the uh, acting, there's a lot of weird enunciations in this movie. And I don't really understand that these people are all from California, so it's not like they're uh, you know, from another country or anything like that. Um, but there's uh, like a part where May where she says, you know, I'm not going to cook for you. I'm only from now on. I'm only cook for uh, myself. But she doesn't say myself. She says myself, like it's two words, <laughs> and one of them is my, and that's where the enunciation is. From now on, I'm not worrying about you. I'll only worry about feeding myself. <laughs> uh, I. I don't remember a lot of the, but I wrote down that there's, this happens multiple times in the movie. Uh, and it's not just her, it's uh, multiple characters. Just, um, it's like you're reading the words, uh, and you didn't fully understand it or something. I don't know. It's, it's just very odd. Uh, there, there's some, uh, in the writing, I guess, just weird things like, um, for example, May and Donald, uh, live by themselves. And Donald comes home and May says, oh, is that you, Donald? Well, of course it's Donald. He comes home from work every single time at the same time. He comes home every day. He's the only person that comes home. I would hope he's the only person that has a key to your place. Uh, so strange that, I mean, so it's a whole dialogue that starts off with that, but it's a conversation that in reality, um, it just doesn't make sense. Oh, you know what? I just remembered. There's another one, uh, where, uh, um, Donald says something about, um, you know, being, a you know, she says uh, that he's not a man or something, but then she says any man would do, but she doesn't say like any man would do. She's like, and it's very weird here. Oh, it's you. 
You were expecting someone from the health department, maybe? Any man would do. <laughs> there are also in the movie long pauses between dialogue where I think people are trying to remember their lines or being or they're being prompted or something, but conversations where there are long, uncomfortable pauses, uh, which just make uh, you know things more awkward than they already are. Uh, also here under lame jokes, of course, if you're eating a crab sandwich, you know there's going to be some jokes about crabs, so we, we get that worked in. Uh, and that brings us to the top five quotes from the film Microwave Massacre. Number five. Hey, Donald, this is a tummy turn-on. Number four. What's your name, sweetie? Donald, what's yours? D-D-D. My mother wanted to name me Delia, but uh, she stuttered. <laughs> oh. Number three. I thought I'd see my priest and confess, but he does everything by the book. And I, and I don't think he can look this one up. Number two. Oh, well. That's the way she would have wanted to go. Number one. I'm so hungry. I could eat a whore. By the way, the catchphrase of this episode is tummy turn on. <laughs> I'm going to try to pull a catchphrase out of these, something I can incorporate into my daily uh, vocabulary. And so that's the one from this movie. I'm going to start uh, talking about delicious foods and describing them as tummy turn ons. And now it's time uh, to talk a little bit about the killer bees. Wait a minute. You must be the... That's right, gringo. The killer bees. The killer bees in bee movies are blood, boobs, background blinks, and bee movie tropes. Um, for being a massacre, this movie isn't particularly bloody. Most of the uh, violence we see is uh, off screen. Uh, most of the blood we see is obviously fake blood. It's not gory blood. It's just a uh, you know blood like on the end of a, a severed <laughs> arm or leg or something. Uh, as far as boobs go, holy camoly, <laughs> there are a lot of boobs in this movie. I mean, this is uh, the type of movie that when you were a kid, you would sit around and cross your fingers and hope would show up uh, late night on Cinemax. In fact, um, in the opening uh, credits of the movie, we see a very voluptuous woman. Uh, walking up and down the street and um, she comes up to the construction site and there's wood around the construction site and hole, a big oval shaped hole in the wood. I don't really understand this scene, um, but she walks up to this and then a man approaches her from behind and then apparently pushes her up against the fence. You would think to have sex with her, her boobs pop out of her shirt and go through this hole. So the construction people can only see the pair of boobs that are sticking through this hole. Then we see shots of her from behind and she's standing there um, rocking kind of back and forth, I guess, like you think she's having sex, but there's nobody behind her. So this guy, so it's like he's invisible or something. I don't really understand. Um, it's just a very, very, very odd scene. Uh, and and just the logistics of that, like, I don't know about you, but it's been a long, I mean, I know 
well, half the world's population <laughs> are female. And I would like to find somebody, if you know a woman who has been walking down and been pushed up against the fence and had her boobs pop out of her shirt and go through a hole, I would love to hear the story about that happen. That would be a great story uh, to pass down to the grandkids someday. Um, I think it's the same woman comes back the next day. Um, it's hard to tell because it's another voluptuous blonde woman and we don't see the first one's face all that much. So I think it's the same girl who comes back. Uh, she has her clothes on this time, but her, uh, she has really short shorts where her butt cheeks are hanging out of the shorts. And, um, uh, I guess, um, uh, this is uh, the seventies, late seventies. So this is when uh, women were actually uh, attracted and turned on by uh, dirty sexual in innuendos from uh, construction workers. What's say, baby? Want to feel my hard hat? Anything else hard I can offer you? Are you addressing yourself to me? Hey, I'd be glad to. Uh, where should I send myself? Next, we have the woman who appears at the strip club. Uh, she is Allison in the closing credits, uh, but she is clothed, uh, so we do not see her naked. We have these sexy neighbors, however, who we see uh, naked and doing weird things from time to time. Uh, we have the girl who gets killed uh, on uh, a giant piece of bread. Um, apparently Donald covers her uh, with a uses a giant knife and covers her with mayonnaise while she's alive, and she thinks that's a good idea. And then he puts uh, uh, another piece of bread on top of her. And then when he puts the the knife on top of the bread, she starts screaming. But there's no way she could even see the knife, and it's definitely not cutting through the bread yet. So uh, then we have May. She is uh, choked at first, and then she gets conked on the head with a uh, pepper grinder. That's what uh, does her in. Uh, we have DDD, uh, who uh, her mother stuttered, and um, <laughs> uh, so her name is DDD, and she is uh, smothered to death uh, by Donald in his living room while she's wearing her uh, underwear, and she gets placed on. Uh, Looks like a kitchen counter, but we don't see this counter in the house. Maybe it's the table, and he uh, uh, chops her up with a hatchet, but we don't see that. It it's, uh, cuts away right before that happens. We have the chicken lady. Uh, she gets taken back. She's a uh, street performer who's wearing a chicken outfit. She is taken back to Donald's house and um, killed. We don't see her get killed, but we do... Uh, afterwards, see a shot of her severed foot being put on the counter. So we, we know that she has been killed. Uh, there is a random naked girl who we don't ever see picked up. We don't know where she came from, uh, but there's a shot of her being cut, uh, her, her chest. Of course, she's completely naked and she's being cut open with one of those knives, um, that shoots blood out of the blade. So it looks like you're cutting somebody. So uh, like a Halloween prop. So she gets cut with that. Uh, and then there's a hitchhiker. Uh, towards the end that Donald picks up and takes to the house. Uh, we don't really know how she's killed, but um, when Donald tells her to get ready, she takes her shirt off and stands around. She says she's ready. And then Donald shows up uh, wearing an apron and he's rubbing the <laughs> knife and a fork together. You just make yourself comfortable, honey, and I'll go slip into something more appropriate. Likewise, you can be sure. Uh, so we don't really know how she's killed, but uh, there's a, 
a good minute long scene of her being cut up in the garage. Now we don't see her at all. We just see Donald from the waist up and blood uh, shooting up from the table, uh, getting all over him. So it's another you know comical type scene. Uh, and then finally, uh, Donald at one point says he's going to prepare Chinese for the guys. Uh, he says he's going to get uh, Peking chicken. Hey, I've got something really special planned. I gotta go down to Chinatown and pick it up after my afternoon nip. All right, give us a hint, Flint. Let's just call it Peking Chick. Wow, you mean Peking Duck, don't you? No, I mean Peking Chick. Uh, and we don't see her. We don't see this woman at all. Uh, it's just in a, a after scene. We see uh, just a pile of hair and then a giant pair of uh, stereotypical large. Uh, eyeglasses that I guess we are to assume came from her. Uh, so this movie definitely earns its R rating. Uh, I don't think there's any bad language in this movie. There are some sexual innuendos, as you might guess, uh, jokes uh, that um, uh, have to do with uh, some of the sexual situations in the movie, but really it's the nudity um, and I guess the the cannibalism angle <laughs> that gets this movie. Uh, it's R rating. So let's talk a little bit about my multiple sadness rating. Now, what do I rate this movie on a scale of one to five? And this isn't uh, a rating of how good is this movie. It's how much do I enjoy it? In other words, we know that this is a bad movie. I mean, it's a microwave massacre, but uh, on a scale of one to five, I give this movie five severed may heads. Uh, and the reason I give that is because especially after you've watched it once or twice, um, I mean, all you want to do with this movie is share it with people. All I want to do is have my friends over, have a few drinks, and say, hey, let's throw this movie on. You know, wait till the kids go to bed, of course, uh, and watch Microwave Massacre. And it's like sharing a gift with other friends, you know. I mean, it's it's like I've seen this bad movie that's so bad it's funny, uh, and now you've seen it. And then hopefully they will uh, share it uh, to their friends, too. So that pretty much brings up Microwave Massacre at the end of the movie. Uh, I don't want to, uh, you know what, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to throw the closing credits on the show. I'm still kind of putting together the format here, so bear with me. I'm going to uh, throw out the closing credits, and then uh, once I'm done with that, uh, I will uh, give the multiple spoiler, which is the uh, end of the movie. Uh, so that way I won't spoil the movie until the very end. So if you uh, don't want to hear how the movie ends, then you can stop listening during the credits. So... Uh, thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Multiple Sadness. I have lots uh, of movies in mind, movies that I saw growing up that I'm looking forward to uh, talking about on the show. So if you would like to email me any suggestions of movies you'd like me to do or feedback, things that you'd like to hear or things you'd not like to hear, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Uh, you can find this show on Facebook is facebook.com forward slash multiple sadness or there's a Twitter page or a Twitter account which is also multiple sadness and you can find us at multiplesadness.com the website so uh, thank you for listening to the first episode of multiple sadness and I uh, look forward to sharing more terrible and awful movies with you on this show Spoiler alert. 
Partway through the movie, we learn Donald has a pacemaker, and eventually the microwave kills Donald. Uh, his pacemaker is affected by the microwave. His two buddies show up, find him dead on the floor, and then discover his secret, uh, which is that they and Donald have been eating uh, human meat. There's a cameo, supposedly by Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, although I have not been able to validate that, and I'm not entirely sure it is Paul Rubens, uh, who finds May's sister, who has been uh, tied up and stored in the closet. Uh, the house is for sale, and the end of the movie uh, zooms in on the microwave, and then we see May's severed head, the eyes glow up, and we see the end. Hey, look at this. Looks like somebody screwed up these wires. Really? Damn, this thing's a death trap for anyone with a pacemaker. The preceding announcement has been paid for by the...